This is the Vacation Rental Success Podcast, and today I am talking to Sarah Bradford. Sarah, the half of Sarah and T podcast and the former owner of Winter Park Lodging. Sarah sold her business, and we're going to be talking about that, about what she'd do if she had to start all over again, and what's next. This is the Vacation Rental Success Podcast, keeping you up to date with news, views, information and resources on this rapidly changing short-term rental business. I'm your host, Heather Bayer, and with 25 years of experience in this industry, I'm making sure you know what's hot, what's not, what's new and what will help make your business a success. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. This is your host, Heather Bayer, and I'm super excited to be back with you once again on yet another lovely sunny summer's day. And the season is in full swing now, and I'm sort of there, but not there, and loving every minute of this sort of semi- I can't, I can't even, I, I can't even bring myself to talk about the word retirement because it just is not really in my vocabulary, but it does feel like a sort of semi-retirement. You know, I can, I can sit back and know that there's things happening within the company. There's you know, people arriving for, for their vacations and they're calling and they've got issues or they've got questions. I don't have to deal with that. I am super stoked about that. But of course, I'm not the only one that has sold a company recently. As a recent VRM Intel article spoke about, there were a large number of sales going on in the first half of 2022. And one of the most prominent ones, and also just sort of happened around about the same time as as ours did, was Sarah Bradford of Winter Park Lodging Company and Steamboat Lodging Company sold her business as well. If you follow Sarah and T, their podcast, you'll know that Tim Cafferty talked to Sarah about the sale and I wanted to get her take on it to talk about how she found the buyer, how it went, how, you know, the ups and downs of the sales process, because I went through some ups and downs and I, you know, I, I think I might have liked to talk to somebody at the same time as I was, I, I was going through our sale process, just to get some corroboration, I guess, that I wasn't alone, just to feel that some of the things that I was getting upset about or euphoric about were common and it wasn't just for me. And unfortunately, you know, it's the nature of a sale that you don't get out and about and talk about it until the sale has completed. So, when all these came out, when all these announcements came out, it was all done and dusted. So I also want to talk to Sarah about what she would do if she started all over again, what she would do differently. And finally, what's next for Sarah Bradford? So let's move on over to my discussion with Sarah Bradford of the Sarah and T podcast. So I'm super excited to have with me today, Sarah Parker, Sarah Parker, (laughs) Sarah Jessica Parker. Sarah Jessica Parker. (laughs) Yes, Sarah Bradford, (laughs) the co-host of the Sarah and T podcast and the former owner of Winter Park Lodging and Steamboat, Steamboat Lodging in Colorado. Yeah, Steamboat Lodging Company. 
Steamboat Lodging Company. Thank you so much for joining me, Sarah. We did the same thing this year. We sold our businesses. How are you feeling about yours? I guess it's the time for women who own their businesses and have podcasts to sell. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling... Go ahead. No, I was, I, was, I was just thinking of, of others. I'm not sure there's any others out there that actually run property management companies that I know of. I don't think there's anyone that own it. Mm-hmm. I think Alex and Annie, Alex works at one, but yeah, yeah, we're the only ones and now we don't own companies. So we're going to spend more time on podcasts or, or what? <laughs> Gosh, everyone says, what are you going to do now? I'm sure they say that to you. Oh, absolutely. And we'll we'll come to that later on because I want to find out yeah. what, what what your focus is going to be on going forward. But I want to kick off because we had this chat before we started about the process of selling and the due diligence. And I just want to go back a little bit further, though. What made you decide to sell your business? How long had you been going? Well, we started our company in 2005, hired our first employee in 2007. So as far as how long we've been going, as far as running the company, we were over 15 years. Mm-hmm. Similar, similar to us because we'd, uh, we started in 2003 and we got our first employee in 2005. So yeah, not, not dissimilar at all. Yes. And so it wasn't that I didn't love all that we did for those years and all of the innovation and all of the ideas and the staff and the owners and the experience. But even before COVID, we sat down and said, what's the end game? You know, how long are we going to do this? Not like it was torture, but it was getting a little less fun just because I think when you do something for that long, it's hard to keep the excitement going. You know what I mean? And And the problems can kind of feel a little annoying where early on when you're younger and you're a newer company, the problems are like, let's fix this. And when you get older, it's a little bit like, ugh, we have to (laughs) fix this. So we had started talking before COVID. Uh, Yeah. Um, How did talking about it that early on impact how well you prepared you were when you went into the process? That's a great question because I see a lot of people right now or hear a lot of people saying like, oh, I'm going to sell. I got a call from company and I think I'm going to do it. And I think the knee jerk approach to selling is a dangerous one. We had a lot of conversations. We had conversations with our GM. Uh, probably the biggest thing is we talked to two different financial advisors in depth about what it would mean to sell. You know, I'm not a spring chicken, but I'm also not retirement age. I'm 51. And so we have to say, okay, imagine if we live another 40 plus years, are we okay financially? Because I sure as heck didn't want to sell and then have to go work right away. And some people do that and that's great and whatever. But I was like, I have a good money making machine here. I don't need to walk away from it if I'm gonna have to go go work. So we spent a ton of time detailing what we wanted to do in the future, how much that would cost, what were all of our assets, how would we pay off different houses and things, um, what the kids wanted to do with school, et cetera. And I got really, my husband and I got very comfortable with what numbers meant. Like, what does this amount mean to our life? 
what would this amount mean? Because you can start just talking about the valuation of your company and you might go, ooh, that sounds like a lot. But when you really talk about taxes, right? They still have those in Canada. Yes, yeah. we, we, <laughs> we benefit from an amazing tax break in Canada when you sell a business. Oh, oh shoot. Well, we don't. <laughs> so there's taxes. Plus, there's just life and you realize what you need to live on, right? Everyone's different. But knowing that number and getting comfortable with that number gives you peace of mind about selling or not peace of mind, right? So when you get the offers, you go, oh, wait, I know I can't live on that or that would be uncomfortable or that would let me sit pretty. Make sense? Oh, uh, exactly. Exactly. Yes. I mean, we, we approached it slightly differently. I'm considerably more advanced in years um, <laughs> and definitely approaching retirement. But we did exactly the same, you know, four or five years ago, I think, well, it was about five years ago, in fact, and we sat down, my business partner and I sat down and said, okay, you know, I was, um, I mean, I'm 67 now, so yeah, 60, around about 62. And I said, you know, the, the time is coming. It's going to be in a few years time. What do we have to put in place? I have to say, I didn't go through all that financial stuff. And, and maybe because, you know, I am at that, that retirement age, but we did the same. We actually, at that point, hired somebody who would be our general manager because we wanted to make sure that by the time we got to the time we wanted to sell, we could walk away and a new owner could come in and not have to do a great deal because it would be running on rails. And it sounds like that that's what you had to take forward for them to take forward. That's probably even better advice is the number one thing my advice is if you're going to sell is think about it way ahead of time and get yourself completely out of the business. Mm -hmm. I pretty much gave myself a challenge. Once COVID happened, we couldn't sell anymore, right? For I mean, mm -hmm. that seemed like that was never going to happen because the world seemed like it was going to end. But I had already put a GM in place about eight years ago, maybe more. And I challenged myself, especially over the past three years, to see if that person and my staff could do everything. When they would ask me a question, I'd say, what do you think? Which is hard to do, Heather, right? When mm -hmm. we used to do it all. Instead of just answer the question, you know the right answer. You say, well, what do you think? And get them to be completely autonomous. That's the word I'd use, yeah. Okay. Um, because when we went to sell our business, the fact that we could say we don't really take part in any daily activity or weekly activity, we simply watch the books and give advice here and there, that made our company so much more valuable. I think you nailed it with that. It made the company so much more valuable. Because no... Yeah, so much more valuable than a GM costs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I've, I've heard the same from people, you know, oh, you've sold, I think it's, you know, I'm going to start thinking about it. And I've said, well, start thinking about it now for three or four years time down the line. If you, if three or four years down the line, if you haven't yet got somebody who can do your job. Yeah. And not only do you get much more money, right? And the payout's higher because you're selling a business that can live on its own. That's the goal. Mm -hmm. But it's also a much more enjoyable exit. So we can talk about that a little bit, how mm -hmm. we exited, but we exited pretty quickly and nothing fell apart. I keep say, asking them, like, is everything okay? And they're like, yeah, it's great. Like, Good. <laughs> that means that I truly was right that I wasn't involved in the business. 
Yeah. And all power to you for, for, for doing that. Yes. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. How did you go about finding your buyer? Because that, well, I, I think when we, myself, when yeah. we started, it was that, you know, oh, what do we do? Um, there were brokers down in the US, but we're a Canadian company. So we really had to go for a, a Canadian broker and we couldn't find anybody who knew anything about our business. So it was a little bit challenging. What, what did you do? That view of the world was exactly ours in a way of just looking out and going, how do we find somebody, right? It just seemed like a, a large ocean of the unknown. And how do you pick the right fish out of the sea? So we uh, were introduced to the broker that we use. Uh, we also were even questioning using a broker because we'd never done that before. This is like embarking on a whole business <laughs> you've never done before, right? And all of a sudden you're supposed to be an expert. But we used Raincatcher out of Denver. They had done a deal in South Carolina, and then they did a lot of other business broker activities not in our space. Met with a couple different business brokers, chose them, loved them, just felt the chemistry. Felt like I could speak honestly with them, and we had chemistry. And that mattered a lot, and it really mattered on the ups and downs of the due diligence that you felt like you could talk to somebody you know, and really share how you're feeling. And how they could work through your issues. So we chose them. And then they had us go through a pretty deep process before we ever went live. What, you know, went, went to market, meaning going live. And that was also incredible. I've told some people they should just do this before they ever want to sell. They had us create this thing called a customer information memorandum, a SIM. And I would say it was the most beautiful thing we created, I bet, in our industry. I was so proud of that. It was like a booklet explaining our company with charts and key points of differentiation and all of our accomplishments went through the financials in depth so that they were able to question everything before it mattered, right? Mm -hmm. They were able to say, where's this? Where that? You have four contracts we can't find. This is happening. That's happening. So we had this whole database and this whole thing ready to go that was pretty bulletproof before we ever went to market. And I loved that process because then when we went to market, I didn't feel exposed. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Yes, yes, exactly. Well, once you had this out, how much interest did you get? Yeah, so that was scary too. It's like selling a vehicle or something. Like, does anyone want to buy this thing? The interest was much higher than I thought. But I will say everyone thinks there's thousands of buyers out there. There are not thousands. There are not even hundreds of true buyers, mm -hmm. people that really understand the value. <clears throat> we had some independent couples that came forward with offers super low, right? Like they're mm -hmm. just looking for a lifestyle business. We wanted, you know, the bucks. And I, everyone if, who knows me knows that I don't, I didn't want to sell to a mega manager. So that counted out a lot of the big interest, right? And the business brokers were a little bit like, are you sure? And my husband was like, are you sure? I was like, yep, I'm real sure. So we probably got 12 offers and that was exciting, right? You go through mm -hmm. each one and that feels awesome just in that, that, that these companies are interested in buying you. Yes, it, that, that, was, that was the exciting bit when offers, offers came in. I mean, we, we started with the, interest in sending out the non-disclosure agreements. 
And it's like, well, there are about 50 of them. It's like, this is so exciting. Oh my goodness. And then, I, and then we, in, we st- began interviewing. And, and I don't know if you went through that process. We, we sort of an hour, an hour and a half, two hours on the phone with each one, but not all 50. I mean, I think we, we, we did probably eight or 10 interviews. And I'm very much like you. I, I had a very clear focus on the sort of people I wanted to take this company forward because it wasn't just buying the company. It was taking our baby, taking the baby into adulthood, I guess. And Yeah, well, I mean, I would say that interview process is really when it becomes a little more personal and real, mm-hmm. don't you think? Oh, yes. When you started to talk to them. Yeah. I mean, we, we had the same. We had, yeah. so, we had some and mom it- and pops who, who just you know, wanted the lifestyle business and wants it and exactly the same came in with really low ball offers and then almost seemed surprised when we said, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, that was great. It's great advice though. You give on um, phone call interview with all way more than the finalists to get a, v, a vibe on them before you meet in person. Mm-hmm. We went down to our business broker was talking to the people in depth, finding out about them, telling us about them. And then we did three final interviews in person all day. Each one was all day. Oh, that, my goodness. We definitely didn't go that far. I mean, I was in Alabama when this was happening. So our buyers were all in Canada. So I I was not able to to meet. We didn't meet our our buyers in person until we had accepted the offer. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, they all flew in for it, which was great. Mm -hmm. Um, There's just a lot you learn from being in physically in front of somebody, right? And going to dinner with them, all those kind of things. So it was intense though. I mm-hmm. mean, my husband and I for three different days had to yap on about our company. And then we were really interviewing them. They were trying to put their best foot forward, which was not how I thought it would be. I thought it'd be more us selling and it was more them trying to get chosen. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of nice. And what was behind the decision-making process? Did you have a set of criteria that said, you know, you've got to meet these criteria and if you don't, then I'm not going any further? Or you know, how, how did you go through that choice process of those final three? Yeah. Well, that's what's really difficult about this if someone's listening and thinking about selling is there aren't a lot of buyers out there who are not mega managers mm-hmm. who know much about our industry. So don't think there are. Okay. So it's your, so one of my things was we had set up, and this was another thing Raincatcher did for us, is they said, what are your goals? Before we get started, let's talk about your goals so that you're not changing them and figuring them out mid-process. And one of the goals was we had a price. We had an amount we really wanted to get to. That amount went way up after COVID, so I'm really glad I waited. But um, the other thing was a non-negotiable is that we wanted to be finished. We have 14 year old boys. And one of the main points of walking away from a cash cow, which seems crazy, a business is doing better than it's ever done was to spend time with them and to free up our time and to completely take away the stress. So we had a rule from the beginning is only talk to buyers that understand we are walking away. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be some payout down the road we're not going to keep going. This is done. So that was a big thing that the buyers had to be into that. And then, I mean, maybe this is even number one. I really wanted the business to survive as a brand and to love our employees and to take it to the next level. And I'm 
if anybody's ever seen me in Vegas or all the VRMA conferences, we are really tight staff. I, I was mm-hmm. very close to my staff. And they built the business with us, right? Like they did the hard stuff, especially at the end. So I wanted them to like the buyer. Mm-hmm. And so much so that I had our GM interview all the buyers. And he was part of the process. And I asked his opinion mm-hmm. and made sure he was okay with who we were selling to, which they were like, what? That's crazy. But then when we sold, he was bought into it versus I have news to tell you, mm-hmm. you know, and drop the bomb on him. So I really liked how that went. Yeah, we we didn't. I don't think we brought our our key staff in until just, our, just well, as soon as we accepted an offer and then they came in and and got to know the buyers really, really well in due, during the due diligence process, which. Yeah, and that's even unusual. You did that. Yeah, because a lot don't introduce them till the day they sell, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, everybody has their own way of doing it, but the fact that your staff was involved during due diligence got them comfortable with mm-hmm. the idea. Yes. Uh, we, there, were, there were a couple that we didn't tell until the day of sale. Because, of course, you know, it could all break down. Well, same. <laughs> it could all break down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let me be clear. We didn't tell every single employee the day we were going to do this. But we told some key staff mm-hmm. as we went through it. And then we for sure told some managers like a week or two before. I took three women managers <laughs> to a spa. We had a spa day and we could drink champagne and have apps. And they were going to spend the night. We were just going to enjoy, you know, it's the end of the season. And I said, oh, and I have something to tell you. <laughs> and so then it was kind of fun to tell them that way versus some scary meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that was great. That was that. That was great. You probably had more. more um, we we only had we only had um, five full time staff. Two new, right? And three and didn't. Had, so. Oh yeah, we had fifty. <laughs> so oh, what, it was what, quite the process. What um, I've been through this process, and we had some ups and downs, and and I know one of our buyers, Pete, is is going to be listening to this because he listens to every podcast, listens to yours as well, and. He knows that I lost it on a couple of occasions and had meltdowns. Did you? Did I have a meltdown? You know, the selling process was not as stressful as I've heard it can be because I did involve my internal accountant controller. Mm -hmm. If I had had to do the due diligence myself, whoa, that would have been (laughs) stressful. There were so many reports and questions and details. I mean, maybe that gets to another point of advice if you're going to do this is get so comfortable with your numbers, Mm -hmm. like really understand your numbers. If you own a building and you're renting it to your company, right, make sure you're renting it to your company. Make sure your company's paying a fair market value. Make sure you can see that in the P&L. Are you depreciating things correctly? Are you putting everything in the P&L you should be? That has to be airtight right? Otherwise, the ups and downs happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong. There were ups and downs because here's the thing, Heather, that you probably thought as well during this, just because you accept an LOI, which is letter of intent, you know, a, one of the offers, it really means nothing. It's not even like buying a couple yeah. million dollar house where you put 30000 of earnest money down and you're like, oh, I don't want to lose that. 
at least in our case, in most cases I've heard, there's no money down. Mm -hmm. So they can walk away at any point. And that's really hard. And you have to get so comfortable with that. And like, think about it, like meditate on it before you start understanding this LOI I choose, letter of intent, this, this offer I choose may not work out. And I have to accept that. And also, I want to say that the non-disclosures you were mentioning, you know, ours all signed NDAs, they don't really seem to be real. Meaning, <laughs> one of the companies, not the one we chose, leaked it. And, you know, yeah, I could go su sue them and stuff like that. But don't get really sure that no one's going to find out. Mm -hmm. I think you have to get comfortable that people might find out you're in the sales process. What do you think of that? Oh, oh yes, yeah. You, and and you talking about the letter of intent, and I I went into this a little greener, I think, than than you were. I think you probably got some really good advice from your broker, and ours, you know, a little bit different. But I had no idea until these things, you know, we've got a letter of intent, we've got an offer. Yes, that means we've sold the company. No, it doesn't. <laughs> It means really not very much at all, except that you cannot take offers from anybody else. You can't talk to anybody else. And I think yes. that, that really shocked me that, okay, yes. they could walk at any time and say, oh, no, this wasn't the best idea. And you're back to square one. Yeah, that, that, that really, that, that shocked me, actually. So I got this question in my head, is how, and, and I think you, you actually answered it earlier on. How are you able to walk oh, away? This is probably the hardest thing is that if you're going to sell your company, you have to figure out how to mentally be able to walk away from an offer. Mm -hmm. And it's like a mind game is what I would call it because your mind says, okay, good. We're selling. Like you said about your LOI. Okay, we're good. We're going to do this. This is happening. I'm going to get that money they said I'm going to get. And I'm sailing off to the sunset. I'm planning my vacation in Tahiti. It's good. And then if there is this ups and down moment, which does feel very scary, like <gasps> they want one thing and I want another thing. Oh my gosh, this marriage might not work out. You have to somehow get in your head and work through the scenario if this doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Don't give up your thoughts that you're going to run your company anymore. Don't like release all of that because I think that's dangerous, right? When you can't walk away, they're sitting in the driver's seat. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I, I, th I think there was one point where I thought this is, this is not all going to come together. Somebody's going to walk away. And, and I had this discussion with my business partner, can we now go through? Because, you know, we were getting close to the summer. And there was no way you could do a sale right in the middle of the summer. So, and, I, and my goal had always been we sell before the start of high season. Yeah. And uh, that's why you want to go into LOI with a good yeah. group that you feel comfortable with. Mm -hmm. So I will say too, when we sold, I didn't really think so much about how that would feel when I had to tell everyone. I don't know if you did, but Gosh, it was so great to introduce quality people to yeah. my staff, to the community, to realtors, to my friends. When everyone said, did you sell it up? <laughs> I was like, no. And that felt awesome too. I mean, one of the owners said, if you sold up, mm, I'm leaving you. And I was like, no, I sold to this great guy, Alan Rowe, and he's got this GM, Stacy, who used to live in Steamboat. And it was this lovely story. 
and do think about the story you have to tell, right? Because mm-hmm. look, you and I are telling it on podcasts, but we're also telling all the people in our world. Yeah. And you have to be proud of your story. I mean, I, I think that's, that's something that drove me right through the due diligence process. You know, when, when there were the downs was the, the joy that I felt at finding the right people, you know, absolutely yes. no doubt from, in fact, the, from the moment we interviewed them. And I said, this is it. This is, these are the people that, that should buy our company because I will, I will love it. I, will, I can't wait to introduce them to the staff. I can't wait to introduce yeah. them to the owners because they're going to come in with a, f- a completely fresh perspective and they're going to take this company to the next level. That You said at the beginning of our talk here that one of the reasons you decided to sell was that, I mean, you didn't use the word stale, but that that's sort of where it was getting for me. Just before COVID, it was thinking, I'm, I don't have the excitement anymore. I don't have the motivation mm-hmm. And I don't get that huge excitement at the beginning of a season. Oh, here we go. It's like, oh, not another one. <laughs> and so, so it was exciting to be able to introduce the guys to our team and the owners and say, you are going to really see a great positive difference. You know, we were good, but now it's going to be even better. Yeah. And you're proud to hand the reins over mm-hmm. and you're almost feel like you're giving them a gift. Like I'm giving you new energy, everybody. Yes. You know, you guys know I had lost some energy. I'm going to revive this company and hand it over to people that I believe will do the right thing. And so that's a, I don't know, it's a really big deal to me. Yeah. Well, it, it absolutely was for me. And I, and I, I look back to some of the people we spoke to and thinking, what if, what if we'd chosen them? And I don't think that any of them would have given me that same feeling of, of satisfaction and contentment that everything is going to go well. So, yeah, we, we did well. We did good, Sarah. Yeah, we did. <laughs> but you were able to walk away on the day of closing. And I'm still in there doing some owner acquisition work, which I still love. You know, I, who, who doesn't love driving around to beautiful properties on lakefronts and going out on the canoe so you can take a nice picture from <laughs> from the water. So I get to I get to do all the nice stuff and not have to deal with with the operational side of it particularly during the high season. Um so I'm okay with it, but part of me thinks, "Wow, oh, that would have been quite nice just to turn around and walk away and not think about it again." So how was that for you? Well, first of all, I want a photo of you in the canoe taking a picture. <laughs> I want to see, are you standing up? <laughs> um, yeah, I haven't heard of many people that walk away other than those that sell to one of those big companies that might be publicly traded. Um, but since our brand was kept intact and everything, like truly keeping your company as it was, you don't hear about people walking away. I attribute it to that I had truly given up every single responsibility, everything. Mm -hmm. So that's how I was able to walk away. I also have to attribute it to the fact that we sold to a company, Alan Rowe, Sunset Management, who had three other Mm -hmm. vacation rental companies, I guess technically four, one in Big Sky and, and some in South Carolina. So they knew the industry. That's kind of was key to be able to walk away, that they knew what they were doing. And I would almost be awkward chatter in the way. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. 
they yeah. needed me to kind of go. So it was a good fit. If I was still at the helm, which I see a lot of people do, it doesn't sound like you're doing that, but a lot of people sell their company and then they stay in charge for a couple of years. That would have been really confusing with my GM, with Stacy who was coming in under Alan, that wouldn't have worked. So it was lovely to walk away, but it was definitely odd. I mean, I, Heather, I think I was mentioning to you earlier that one day I went to log into our PMS system. And if you were like me, I, I logged into that thing every day. It didn't matter what I was doing just to see if we got new bookings, mm -hmm. right? That was like my drug, like, ooh, yes. 10 grander, you know? <laughs> and I logged in one day. This is after the sale, like three weeks later. I mean, not a big deal. I've sold the thing. And I couldn't log in. And I thought, ah, oh, streamlined. You know, I can't log in again. And then I said to Al, my GM, I can't log into Streamline. He's like, oh, yeah, is that okay? We just took everything away. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's totally fine. But it's also bizarre mm -hmm. when you no longer own your – You re, it really hit you like, holy cow, this isn't mine anymore. Right? It's bizarre. It, it is. It is. Um yeah, I know. We, we, I'm, I'm still in there. <laughs> still. Yeah. But I, you know, we have we we use Slack constantly because we we are um, we've always been remote. We've been remote for for ten or twelve years. We are way before COVID. We we work remotely. All our staff are all over the place, and so so we we live and breathe Slack. And it used to be Skype, but now Slack. And so I'm in, still in the Slack channels, but I know that they have their own Slack channels now that I'm not a part of. And you hear yeah. and a discussion, some, somebody mentions a discussion in a Slack channel. I think, oh, all right. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. You're just a little peon in business development. That is absolutely it. And yeah, I'm, I'm actually loving it, as you seem to be as well. So let, let's... Well, yeah, I was going to tell you one more thing. Of um, One of the times it really hit me is if you listen to the podcast, you know that I, I love off-sites. I love to get the staff together and we mm -hmm. bond. And they just had one. They had one <laughs> post-sale. And, of course, I wasn't invited. And I did feel like, what, what, what happened? What did you do? Who organized it? Did you guys have fun? And the funny thing is they just played a big, long game of kickball with beer which I never would have done because I would want to get all this stuff done. And they all had teams and they had t-shirts made up. And one of the teams was Sayonara Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, life does go on without you. It's it okay. does. It does. Yeah, I'm going to have this more um, broken out period of walking away. You know, it, mm -hmm. I, I feel it now and I'm actually feeling that it would be okay. Yeah, absolutely okay yeah. if if there was no more work but i'm i'm going to be around for quite a while and, and still enjoying it so let's let's just move on because we've moved on what are three pieces of advice you'd give to someone in the business about selling now you've 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 actually covered several pieces already we've talked about you know being prepared beforehand getting somebody in who can, who can run the business without you is there any is there anything else that you'd offer as a, as advice I would say to clean up your business and don't listen to that and think, oh, my business is cleaned up. Come on. Everybody mm -hmm. can clean up their business. So I would get rid of the owners that shouldn't be there. I would get understanding of 
profitability of every property so you can explain it. Think about selling your business. Think about selling your business like you sell to an owner to join your company. Are you airtight? Do you, is your budget, well, first of all, do you have a budget? Is your P&L, and if you don't know what that means, profit and loss, get one, get that going in QuickBooks. Understand all of your income. Understand how your income's grown. Understand risk to your income. And then understand all of your expenses and make sure you have dialed those down. Because while you might sit there and think, oh, someone will want to buy my business because we're so awesome. No, <laughs> they go down to the numbers, people. <laughs> right? It's not about the little happy stuff that we love and our guest gift. That's lovely and that creates our brand and that creates return guests, but that creates revenue. And these people buying are putting big money down for your mm -hmm. company. And you have to be ready to explain your value. And it needs to not be, oh, we just made some money in the past year, so you should buy us. Yeah. It has to be ongoing. You have to show that it lasts and it's enduring mm -hmm. and that you have really faithful guests that come back to you and you have amazing reviews and you have a company culture that's worth buying. Because otherwise, they'll, you'll only sell to the companies that strip you down to the properties. It's a unit buy and they just put them in their platform, yeah. right? And they don't keep any of the brand. Mm -hmm. it, it, I, I was blown away by the amount of detail. I know there were times when, I, when we were going through it and I said, it would have been so much easier just to buy a ton of houses over the last 20 years and sell them because you just, you want to sell a house, you advertise it for sale and somebody comes along and gives you money. They don't ask about every little piece of renovation or whatever you've done to it over the last five years and require detailed analysis of, of the economies. You know, if, 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 you, uh, if you put some insulation in, they don't ask you about your R numbers and how it's made a difference to your electricity bill for the last five years. Yeah, right. That's a good way of saying it. And where's the receipt for the insulation? Yes. Yeah. And, and yes. And who did it? And did they give you guarantees? And I was unprepared, completely unprepared for that concentration on every single number, even down to a single property. So yeah, yeah I'd know, um, be prepared for that. Jacoby Olin told me something early on, way before we even met Raincatcher. And that was, make sure your owner contracts have a clause in it that says it can be transferred to another owner. There's mm -hmm. some legal way of saying that. Be sure that's in every contract. I can't explain that more. We went through and then got new contracts from everybody over the last year before we went to sell to make sure we had that line in there. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have that line in there, it can get tricky and the value of your company goes down because it's not assumed it can transfer. Yeah. Yeah. That is really, that's really good advice. We didn't have that. <laughs> okay. If you were starting again, I don't know if you're going to start again. You probably can't for a few years now. But if you were going to start again, what would you do differently? I mean, you sold a, a brilliant company with great oh, employees. You. And, you know, I know this because I, I've not experienced it, but I've watched you speak over and over again. And you, you mentioned the culture of your company and the people, and I've met your people too, because you used to bring them to the, uh, the, the Verma conferences. So you have this great product to sell, but if you were starting again, is there anything that you do differently from the start? 
Well, to be clear, I will not be starting again. <laughs> unless things go really nuts. But that was the whole point of selling is to not do this. So people that start again amaze me. What would I do differently? I would definitely do the same thing I would do is create that company culture. If you're going to have to have a big staff, make them love each other. Be uh -huh. sure to love on them. Staff is everything. Fun. I would, I put a lot of fun in the company. We were goofy and that made it a different kind of place to work. What I would do differently if I did it again was I, I was afraid a lot. Like I always thought we were going to implode, but we never did. But I was just so nervous because it was our only income stream. You mm -hmm. know, we had little kids and I wouldn't have so much fear. I'd be more bold and confident about taking over the area. <laughs> I finally got confident enough once we knew we were really doing well. And I would only take on incredible properties that are going to be profitable. I mean, you say this all the time on your podcast, Heather, but don't take on the ones just because they're nice owners. Don't hurt your brand by agreeing to take one that you know they're not going to change the furniture out. Mm -hmm. You know how I feel about design. And don't take on owners, as John Suzuki recently said in our podcast, don't deal with unpleasant in the early days, I dealt with way too many unpleasant people because I was desperate. I was mm -hmm. nervous. I was like, we have to take these properties on and these owners just talk to me like that, but I have to deal with it. No, that is not true. And I wish from the very beginning I'd had the respect for my time, myself, to give boundaries, but also not deal with the owners that really were off. They were just out of line right? Uh -huh. How they were approaching this, how they were speaking to us, how they were treating us, how they treated my staff. I finally got to that place of just cut the fat, only have incredible properties with incredible owners, but it took me way too long. Yeah. Um, exactly. Exactly. Exactly the same for us. And I, I would say exactly the same. Start over, start with your criteria and stick with it. But I think, you know, we're, is it the same for everybody? That's starting up, you just want to take on everything and anything and anything that other people have just cast aside because of those reasons that you just said, because you just need some inventory. So that, that it, it is a tough one. It is really tough because the only owners that, unless you get lucky, the owners that come to you when you have no one are the ones that skip around to different vacation rental companies. And they're the ones that mm -hmm. are never happy. Yeah. So you get the unpleasant right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. You know, my other piece of advice is don't desperate in terms of reducing your commission because the second you do, you can never go back. Yeah. I actually didn't do that. So I'm kind of proud of myself, but I want a lot of new companies do it and they're just getting new properties because they have low commission, not because they've created a value proposition beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great point. You know, you, t you just tell owners why you're offering that commission rate and the benefits they're going to get yeah. from it. You know, I this like little dream, Heather, of taking a few young people under my wing and spending a week with them and and teaching them how to build this business because uh -huh. there are so many things I wish Sarah would have told an older Sarah would have told me eighteen years ago. And want another piece of advice because there's way too many popping up in my head. 
you know, we, we learned a lot in 18 years, right? <laughs> that is that invest more in the company than you think you should, because if you can get a GM faster and you can grow the company faster, your economies of scale is you'll be more profitable faster and you'll have a lot less stress. Try to do all the things for too long, you burn out, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, there were times where I was making my mother clean. She was 70 at the time. <laughs> we were trying to do it all instead of go ahead and build a company, figure out how to get that capital that you can do that and get it, kind of get it big quick, not mm-hmm. big, but like get to 40 or 50 properties quickly. Because I think at 20 properties, you're in the midst of you can't hire, but there's complications and you just might peter out. Yes, I I remember when we got to 30 and it was like this tipping point. And that's when we we began to to realize that we were really growing. Mm -hmm. But I can't remember how many years ago that was. Don't those years just fly by? They do. I don't remember about seven of them. Go ahead. (laughs) So what's what's next, Sari? I've I've seen this on Facebook. You mentioned it to me. You're spending the summer in Pennsylvania. Sounds absolutely fabulous. Yes, I spend a lot of time here in the summer. I have always with the kids and my husband, but I've always been like, wait, I have a meeting at one. Hold on, I got to take a call. Wait, let me check my email. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a problem. Sorry, I have to interrupt dinner. There's a city council meeting. And it's lovely to experience the same vacation without work (laughs) and just like, I don't even have to take my phone to the lake, but what's next for me? Everyone says that. And I think it's a funny, I'm not not saying that's a funny question you're asking me. Of course you're asking me, but everyone says that like you have to be doing something in life that makes money or is super productive all the time. And I, I tell people, you know, I've worked for 30 years nonstop. Can I please not have something that's next? Can I just (laughs) sit back for a second, you know, and see what comes to me? We're still doing the podcast, Tim and I, and I love the podcast. I'm still going to be at Verma. I'm still going to be a vacation rental dork. But as far as like what's next, I've thought about a few fun things to do, like writing a book. I've been interviewing this guy in Steamboat that's an old guy who told me everything about Steamboat. And so I've interviewed him four times, maybe write a fun book about that. Maybe do projects that don't have the pressure to make money, Mm -hmm. right? I've had the pressure to make money for so long in my life that I just want to see what comes to me. And as I told you, I'm, you know, totally obsessed with pickleball. In (sighs) fact, I got to go to my, um, my pickleball match here in 15 minutes with the old geezers at the lake. Uh, isn't it really weird that pickleball seems to be taking over all of us who are selling businesses talking to Andy Medic from Seaside Vacations when he sold his business that was the first thing he did was learn how to play pickleball and you have and and I found myself in a Facebook group for Huntsville Ontario the Pickleball Association Um, (laughs) oh my gosh you're gonna be in it so I have to tell you because I am an entrepreneur at heart Pickleball's taking over so much. I've thought a few times like we should be creating a pickleball company of some sort. Like we should ride this wave. <laughs> but I just don't have the energy next. But maybe my next thing is a wildly successful pickleball company. I think that sounds wonderful. I can't believe how, you know, I look at this Facebook group 
that I'm in, and and it was only sort of less than a year ago there were four members, and there's now you know something like two thousand. <laughs> But you I, haven't played yet. I haven't played yet. No, um, all the time I was down in Alabama in, in the winter, we were in the Gulf Shore, uh, Gulf State Park, and there's they had used to have tennis courts. I used to play tennis on them. Now they've just turned them over to pickleball. And oh my gosh, the the number of people who turned up every single day. I still have oh, to. Yeah. I have still have to get understand some of these these things like paddles in in the fence. I don't understand. Oh yeah, that, that means like you're saying. If you put your paddle on the fence, it means you're next up to play. Right. It's your way of getting in line. Yeah. You're going to be addicted. I want you to tell me after the first time you play. I'm so excited for you. Welcome to the addiction of pickleball. I, it, it's going to be in the next couple of weeks. So I, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. So Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. Um, for everybody who's listening, you, you listen to my podcast. I sure hope you also listen to Sarah and T. There'll be a link to that on the show notes. Make sure you go there. I'm going back at the moment through some of your, um, I think season, season, end of season one, season two, I'm going through now just to pick out the ones that I, I missed because there's so many gems in there. I'm thank sort of you. involved in building a course you know a comprehensive course that takes somebody through from deciding they want to get into this business and learning from you is is providing me with with a lot of material (laughs) oh my goodness thank you so much (laughs) so go take a listen to the sarah and t podcast and sarah i just hope you have the most wonderful summer i look forward to seeing you in in las vegas yes We'll reunite. How about we do like a I sold my company happy hour? <laughs> that could be quite a that could be quite a big get together. Yes. Makes it makes really you wonder will. though if, I... if all these people are still gonna be at Verma. <laughs> oh, they probably won't. You and I are just obsessed with this industry. I'm not <laughs> sure everybody so. else is. Maybe so. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Well, thanks to you and congratulations to you. And also thank you for inspiring all of us. I mean, you're at what number episode? Um, this is going to be about 450, I think. Oh, my goodness. And I, of anyone, know what that means. That's four <laughs> times what Tim and I have done. And that takes massive dedication on the weeks you really don't feel like recording. So thank you, Heather, for all you've, you know, Matt Landau said it beautifully, all you've given to our industry. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you, Sarah. This is a, this is a good mutual, <laughs> mutual appreciation mutual sign off. <laughs> I hope to see you in Vegas. That'll okay. be great. Enjoy your pickleball. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Sarah, for joining me and for sharing your experiences of selling Winter Park Lodging and Steamboat Lodging Company. It, it was interesting talking that you suddenly realize all these commonalities between our two companies from you know, starting way back in the early part of this century and then growing through through the um, the adolescent stages of the business and and getting to the point where you think, oh, and things are getting a little bit stale. I'm not as excited about it as as I was and then putting everything in place to make sure that when you do get to a sale, 
you are ready for it. It was interesting hearing Sarah say she's speaking to people who say, hey, you know, companies come along and said they'll, they'll buy me out and I think I'll do it. And for them, if they've just come to that decision that, oh, this is a good idea, I'm going to sell, but they haven't got all these things in place, then it's going to be a struggle. And there's definitely going to be more downs and ups in the due diligence process. So the other thing is that came out of that, as I'm talking to Sarah, I'm thinking, gosh, I, I wish I'd known her better over some of, some of the formative years so we could have networked and gone through these things and perhaps I could have I could have learned from her along the way. This is what going to conferences is all about. This is what networking is about. It's about getting together with your peer group and realizing that you're not alone in this. And I, I've mentioned many times before, starting out in the business and nobody wanting to talk to me and help me out because they didn't want to give away their their what they called their company secrets. And that was way back in 2003. Nowadays, nobody has secrets. We don't have, you know, we share. And people share very openly and particularly property managers. We are such an inclusive bunch. So that if you're out there thinking, I wish I knew about this. I wish I knew about that. Some of the things, in fact, Sarah talked about, about, you know, how to create a company culture in the way that she did. Well, find somebody else who's running a company that you really, really like and see if they can mentor you. People are much more outgoing and willing to share these days than they were way, way back when we started. So as I mentioned at the end of the interview, don't forget to go over and listen to Sarah and T podcast. If you haven't done already, subscribe to that. Make sure you subscribe to this one. If you're a new listener, if you, if anybody's thinking about selling a business, they want to talk to me about it, about my experiences, then please do. Please send me an email ask me any questions and I'm sure you can do exactly the same to Sarah. She'd be more than happy to, to help. And, and certainly if you're coming to the VRMA conference in uh, Las Vegas in October, then uh, both Sarah and I will be there. So, you know, seek us out and ask any questions that you have. So that's it for, uh, for another week. I'm going to check out the pickleball schedule because Sarah has um, motivated me now to really get going on this. I need to go and buy some paddles or buy a paddle and get learning. And then, I don't know, I don't know if there's any, I wonder if we can find pickleball courts in Las Vegas, Sarah. Because I think there's a few of us who have taken up the sport, the fastest growing sport on the planet, apparently. Thank you guys for listening. Always a pleasure to be in your ear for this 50 minutes or so. And I'll look forward to being with you again next week. It's been a pleasure as ever being with you. If there's anything you'd like to comment on, then join the conversation on the show notes for the episode at vacationrentalformula.com. We'd love to hear from you. And I look forward to being with you again next week.